Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church family. Please take your Bibles, and we're going to continue right on into the life of Solomon. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, so take your Bibles, open to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Y'all were about to throw stones or something at me. What's wrong with y'all? Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. This morning, I'm going to start a new series out of the Gospel of John. Um, based on the seven I am statements of Jesus that are found only in the Gospel of John. Now, these statements are unique um, to John's revelation of Jesus as they're, they're not found in any of the other three Gospels. Now, my subtitle, the, the series is called I Am, my subtitle is Jesus in His Own Words. Jesus in His Own Words. How does Jesus speak of Himself? Now, my hope is that all of us will see and hear Jesus' own words with greater clarity and understanding, okay? So we're going to be in John for the next couple of weeks. Now, as I begin, there are two very important items to consider. The first is the historical biblical context of Jesus' statements, okay? Now, one of, if not the most important biblical texts, regarding God's own revelation of himself, is found in Exodus 3. If you remember the story of Exodus 3, God appears to Moses at the burning bush. And God there reveals himself as as God is about to send Moses to rescue his people. And Moses is saying, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And this is what God says about himself in Exodus 3. This is the conversation. It says, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, that's the word Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So the historical context of Jesus making these statements is that God has revealed himself to his people as the I am. The very name of God in Hebrew, which is Yahweh, is a simple version of the verb to be. Every time they say God's name in the Old Testament, they are saying, I am. The one who is I am. The one who is. The one who bees. That's bad English. It's good Hebrew. The one who is. Okay, now this is a statement of God's absolute identity, of His essence. He is the eternal I am. The one who is eternally, the one who, etern, the one who is the eternally existent being. The one who is eternally present and stands apart from time, matter, space, and all of creation. He is completely self-existent, completely self-determining, without need or want. As Revelation says, He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. 
the great I am. Now this also means that God is the one from whom all other beings have their essence and existence. After all, we are not self-existent or self-determining. We are by our very nature dependent beings. Paul tells the philosophers in Acts 17 on Mars Hill in Athens who are worshiping what they call an unknown God, Paul says to them, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. He is the completely self-existent I am. He says, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God needs not anything and you need everything. There is no being or existing apart from the one true God who ultimately is. And so Jesus, think of this, when when you come to these seven I am statements in John, all Jewish listeners would have immediately tuned in As Jesus is claiming something that no ordinary Jew would even come close to saying for fear of blaspheming the very name of God. The sacred, holy, set apart name of God. So that's the biblical context of I am. Jesus is taking the very name of God to himself. Second, the second item of consideration has to do with our own understanding of Jesus' claims. You see, when we hear Jesus make these claims, we must decide what to make of them, right? Is Jesus really who he claims to be? As C.S. Lewis famously put it in his book, Mere Christianity, when he's debating on what you actually make of the claims of Jesus, C.S. Lewis says this, he says, I'm trying to prevent here anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And C.S. Lewis says, this is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who claims he's a poached egg. That's funny, y'all. Jesus saying, I am God, is basically the same thing as a lunatic going, I am a poached egg. That's, what I, that's how I identify. I am a poached egg, and you will thusly refer to me as a poached egg. Okay? He says, or else, Jesus would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool... You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So that's it. As you come to these claims of Jesus, you have to make up your mind. He's either a lunatic, or he's a liar, or he's Lord. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He does not leave middle ground options for us. 
He is one of those three things. Now, so my hope is that you will hear Jesus in his own words, look at his life and the eyewitness evidence, and come to the same conclusion that C.S. Lewis, the famous atheist-turned-apologist, would say. And with that conclusion, you will love and cherish Jesus above all this world has to offer. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. All right, look at, we're going to read here verses 22 through 34. It says there, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? That's a dumb question. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir... Give us this bread always. Now here Jesus begins with a warning. And that is the danger of looking for a materialistic Savior. Jesus warns them about looking for a materialistic Savior. Now as we pick up this story, um, this narrative in chapter 6, it is right on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, that's why, they're, that's why it starts with them look, talking about bread. They ate the loaves. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus goes across the sea. You know, he had just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then the disciples leave in boats, and Jesus goes walking across the lake. That's what Jesus does, okay? And so they're all looking for Jesus. They walk around from Tiberias to Capernaum on the other side to find him. And what we see here is that when they find Jesus, the same thing happens here that, that John has been highlighting up to this point in the Gospel of John. John has been laser-focused in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, and now in chapter 6, on how often people miss the truth of Jesus. That's what all of the first few chapters of John are about. Jesus teaches, and nobody gets it. Everybody misses it. Whether that's Nicodemus in John 3, when Jesus talks about being born again, and he's like, well, can I crawl back into my mother's womb? And Jesus goes, you missed it. Or the woman at the well, and Jesus says, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And she goes, hey, give me some of that water so I don't have to come back to this well. She misses it. 
And then in John 5, when Jesus heals the, the guy by the pool of Bethesda at the sheep gate, and the religious leaders question Jesus about healing on the Sabbath, and Jesus says this to them in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is those scriptures that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They miss it. They're worried about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I'm trying to give you real life here. Okay? So here, in this section of chapter 6, Jesus sees right through this crowd and why they're looking for him. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, you're not, looking for me. you're not looking for me because of a sign. You ate some food yesterday, and you're hungry again. That's why you came all the way around here. You walked all the way around this lake because you ate yesterday, and you're hungry again. And Jesus tells them, don't work for food that perishes. Don't work for that kind of food. Jesus says, what you need is eternal life. And at the same time, look at the end of verse 27. Notice that though they, they miss it, Jesus graciously offers them what they need most. He says, don't work for the food that perishes. He says, the Son of Man will give you what you need. I will give you the bread you really need. Think about that gracious promise right there. I will give you what you need. But they're struggling. They're struggling. They, they're longing for a materialistic Savior, one who will just give them bread every day like Moses gave manna in the wilderness. And so, so they ask two questions that reveal their unbelief in verses 28 and 30. They say, well, what must we do? If we're not supposed to work for bread that perishes, what must we do then to do the works of God? What sign will you give us or what work will you perform to make us believe? Now, the first question is insightful. You know, what must we do to do the works of God? I think that's an insightful question. The second question is outrageous. What sign do you do that we might believe in you? Like feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish isn't sufficient? I mean, think about that. If you were there, you watched the guy keep breaking the bread, and he never stops breaking the bread. Like, you go home and try that today with your children. Go home and break out the fish sticks and see how far a fish stick gets. Okay? That's outrageous to ask that second question, right? They, they're, they're stuck in unbelief, okay? But instead of being offended, notice that Jesus actually answers their questions. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says the works of God are to believe in the one he sent. So if you want to know what you need to do, believe on me. Secondly, Jesus says, take what has been graciously provided for you. I am the bread that's been sent from heaven. Take this bread. Take this bread and never hunger and thirst again. Okay? Now, they miss it altogether in verse 34, don't they? You see verse 34? Sir, give us this bread always so we don't have to walk around the lake every day and look for you as you zigzag across this thing. That's what they want. But they miss it. They still think Jesus is speaking of real physical bread. They still, like the woman at the well, thinks Jesus is really talking about physical water. And Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about real physical birth. They miss the person standing right in front of them as their greatest need. Not food, faith. Not a sign, but a savior. Not 
provisions, but a person. Now, the issue hasn't changed 2,000 years later. Do you know that people want stuff? It's the human condition. We want stuff. We want a materialistic Savior. If Jesus will give you stuff, you are happy to follow Jesus. And many preachers of a false gospel will say the very same thing. Come to Jesus and He'll make you healthy and make you wealthy and give you all the food and health you could ever imagine. Just come to Him. But Jesus won't give them what they want. And if Jesus won't give you what you want, then you know what? You'll go look for it somewhere else. Because you want stuff. Whether that be the God of government, or the God of money, or the God of greed, or the God of sex, or the God of power, you will go look somewhere else. And Jesus here warns against looking for a materialistic Savior. He refuses to be that. And notice, secondly, though, that Jesus calls us to faith in Him. Look at verses 33 and 35. This is the crux of the whole text. In verse 35, Jesus says, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, that's what you underline in your, bow, in your Bible. This is Jesus' famous response. This is the I am statement. In Greek, it is ego I me. I am the artos zo- zoine, the bread of life. This is Jesus' revelation of himself to us. Now, again, those listening want signs. They want real bread. They'll be more inclined to believe Jesus should he give them manna like Moses did in the Old Testament. But instead, Jesus points them to himself. He says, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. Now, there's several key truths here to take note of if you're asking, well, what does Jesus mean that I'm the bread of life? Well, let me give you three or four quick things. First, Jesus claims here a unique place in his relationship of humanity to God. Jesus claims a very unique place in his relationship between humanity and God. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's also the Son of God, the one sent from heaven as bread for us. Now think about the Exodus story where they keep going back to Moses and manna. Just as the Father sent bread to his people to sustain them and save them in the wilderness during the exodus, the Father has sent Jesus as bread to sustain them and save them. So Jesus has this unique role to play in, in huma- between humanity and God. Secondly, Jesus uses bread as a picture of spiritual life. He's the bread, not just bread, He's the bread of life. He alone is the source of life and being. Now listen, for those that that were in this Mediterranean culture, bread is basic to life. They grew grain, they ground it at mills, and they made bread. Bread was basic to life. Bread is universally understandable and necessary. 
and bread is for everyone. Bread is not simply for the wealthy or the elite or the educated. Bread is basic to all people and to all of life, especially Jesus' hearers. In the same way that the woman in the well, when he addressed her with water, he chose to use water with the same picture. It is essential and universal. It is life-giving. But third, bread points to Jesus' unique ability to universally, to eternally satisfy the longings and yearnings of the human heart. Let me say that again. Bread points to Jesus' unique ability to eternally satisfy the longings and yearnings of the human heart. I'm talking about the deepest needs of the human condition and the human experience. You see, the difference is when you eat physical bread, you'll be hungry again. Your satisfaction is only temporary. Some of you ate breakfast this morning. You ate your Pop-Tart. And you know what? You're hungry again. I am. I'm hungry right now. Now you're all thinking about Mexican. That's the, but that's the point, right? We, we take food and then we're going to be hungry again. Nothing we eat will eternally satisfy us. Jesus says, I am altogether different. If you eat this bread, you'll never hunger again. What does he mean? Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart when we come and believe in him. Think about David in the Psalms when David talks about the longings of his heart. And David says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. And when he's, David says, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Or as Augustine famously said in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That we have deep longings of soul and spirit that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. Or as C.S. Lewis said, our longings or desires give us away. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Or I would say we were made for Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of the human spirit. Nothing else in creation can satisfy you. Why? Because you weren't made to be satisfied with anything else in creation. Go chase all the money you want, all the drugs you want, all the sex you want, all of the power you want. Get drunk on it. And in the end, you will say just like Solomon, I chased it all down. And it was a chasing after the wind. My soul was never satisfied. And Jesus stands before you and says, take this bread and never be hungry again. This is what you were made for. Lastly, notice that Jesus alone can bring us to the Father and give us eternal life and eternal security. Look at verses 36 through 40. This is what this is about. Jesus says there, beginning of verse 36, he says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Remember, Jesus says from verse 29 that the work of God is to believe on Jesus. And here Jesus says that all those that the Father gives him will come to him in faith. Now that brings us face to face with the sovereignty of God. You might not like what Jesus says there. It's mysterious, it's humbling, but it's nonetheless true. Jesus himself has said it. The Father by his sovereign will gives believers to the Son. But I will say that that's the only reason you can have security. Jesus says this is why you can have security, because Jesus will lose none of those that the Father graciously gives him. But again, notice that Jesus issues an invitation in verse 40. He says, look on me and believe on me and you will be saved. And those who do, Jesus promises to raise them up on the last day in the resurrection. Now don't get bogged down wondering whether or not the Father has chosen you. Look to Jesus. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look on me and believe and you'll be saved. Now here's the question. This is the ultimate point. This is everything, this is what this whole section is about. Here's the question. Everybody listen. Do you want Jesus? Or do you want what Jesus gives you? Is Jesus the end? Or is he the means? Do you truly desire him? Listen, not do you want to not go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? Even an atheist would say, well, if hell is real, I don't want to go there. See, that's the issue, right? Do you want Jesus? Do you desire him? Is your soul longing for him? Not bread and fish. Do I want him? And then notice that Jesus challenges unbelief. Oh my gosh, i got to go fast, y'all. The rest of our text this morning deals with how Jesus' hearers respond to his I am statement. They're just not ready. Jesus calls them to faith, but they're gripped by unbelief. Look at verses 41 through 42. i got to go quick. 41 through 42 says, So they grumbled, the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They were living right over there in Nazareth. Don't, don't we, haven't we met them? Right? So they, they, they can't, they only think in materialistic forms, uh, materialistic terms. They know Jesus' parents. But now look at verses 43 through 46. And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so instead of Jesus presenting an argument about the incarnation, you know, like how the Son of God came from heaven, took on flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus points again to the illuminating work of the Father and of the Spirit. Down in verse 63, he uses the Spirit. He says that it is the Father who draws people. It is the Father who sends the Son, draws people, who teaches and opens their eyes and hearts. And now look at verses 47 and following. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So as, t- as Jesus typically does, he takes the Old Testament and shows how it applies to him and how the Jews have misunderstood it. So what's the point of manna? Why did God give them manna? Jesus says the real point was so that they would find satisfaction in God and they would look into the future for the bread that God would send. And Jesus says that, that, that in fact, he is going to give his own body and flesh as the sacrifice for the world. So let's wrap this up, verses 52 through 59. It says, then the Jews disputed again among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things as he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. Again, notice they miss it. Unbelief continues. Can Jesus really expect us to be cannibals and eat his flesh? That's the question. Jesus presses the issue. He says, no. He says, you must drink this blood and eat this flesh. That will be offered up as a sacrifice. So we have to take the work of Christ on the cross and internalize it by faith. It means that we take it just like food that brings life to our body. Jesus' death brings life to our souls. Those who do this, who look on the Son and believe in Him, will have eternal life. The issue is unbelief. The issue is not cannibalism or the Lord's Supper as Jesus doesn't mention that at all in this text. The question is, why do they miss it? It's because they refuse in this text to come to Jesus, to take Jesus as the only nourishment of their souls, to find their identity and deepest longing satisfied in Him instead of other things, to find life in Him and not in the material world around Him. Listen, Jesus says you can eat The literal manna in the wilderness that God gave during Moses' day. And guess what will happen? You'll die. That manna's not going to help you. It's not going to give you eternal life. You're going to die. The only source of eternal life is the person standing in front of them. And you have to come to him by faith. So how do you do that? You come by faith. Augustine said it this way. Believe in him and you have eaten. How do you eat this bread and drink of this? How do you eat this bread and drink his blood? Believe. Come to him and believe. Now I want to say this as I close. I want you to notice here that Jesus isn't invite Jesus isn't asking the crowds to invite him into their lives. Like he's an accessory, like a watch or a handbag. That's not what Jesus says. Do you, do you hear that? Like Some evangelists will say, well, Jesus is just waiting on you to invite him into your life. You don't have life. 
You don't have life if you don't have Jesus. How can you invite Jesus into something you don't have? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus here says to come to him and find life. Come to me and find life. I'm not an accessory. There's a huge difference. So come to Jesus because he is the bread, not because he will give you bread. Jesus is not opposed, by the way, of meeting physical needs. He just proved that by feeding 5,000 of them. But he wants us to travel back up that path to the source and find life in him. Listen, there's more to life and being and existence than physical bread. In fact, eternity hangs in the balance. So what does it look like for a person to find Jesus? It means sometimes you have to leave behind your ideas of what the Messiah looks like. He's not a materialistic Savior. And you have to trade that for the better thing that Jesus is offering. And that better thing is himself. That's what Jesus offers. Himself. Because only he can satisfy your souls. May the Lord add a blessing to the preaching of his word. Father, I pray that you would take this difficult text... And Father, may we search our own souls and get to the bottom of our own longings. And Father, may we get to the anchor at the bottom. And Father, may we find what we built our life upon. And Father, if we built it on sand or we built it on money or power or greed or physical needs or comfort or health, Father, may we throw those things aside. And Father, may we anchor our, our souls and our life in Jesus alone. We pray this in His name.